0: Do you know what the largest hot desert in the world is? No, it's not Lubbock, Texas. (laughs) Although I wasn't too sure, in third grade, we uh, lived in, uh, when I was in third grade, my family lived in Houston, Texas, and we um, were told, uh, we're going to move to Lubbock. And you know, down in Houston, it's just humid all the time, it's hot most of the time, and my mom would always get worried because I would get very red in the face after playing outside for such a long time. And um, she didn't know, but I knew. You don't have to drink water when you're in Houston. Just breathe, you know. And it just sort of soaks in. But uh, they told me, you know, my parents said, we're moving to Lubbock. And um, so I got out the big map back then. You didn't have the Internet. And so got out the big Texas map that we would travel with. And, and I finally found where Lubbock, Texas was. And even on the map, it was sort of tan or brown and it wasn't green like life is supposed to be you know in my mind and so I uh I asked my parents well why is it so brown there and they said well there's no trees they told me And my first thought was where will my dog go to the bathroom (laughs) and I asked that question and I told my parents I'm not going Unless my dog can have a place to go to the bathroom, you know. But, um, you know, we made it. We, we, uh, and there were trees here and there. <laughs> Years later, I moved back out to West Texas to Level End. And uh, not too long ago, I began to know some of the people that were administrators there. And uh, they told me at South, at South Plains College, they were administrators at that college. And, and they told me that one of the recruiting pitches they used to try to get international athletic students to come to this place called Leveland, Texas, and to be a student athlete at South Plains College, they told these uh, males, these men students, listen, there's a girl behind every tree. <laughs> Little did they know until they got here that there were no trees. So, But, you know, the 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 largest hot desert, and I have to say hot desert because the largest desert in the world, if I'm not mistaken, is Antarctica. But the largest hot desert in the world isn't in Texas, it's the Sahara Desert in Africa. And for many centuries, in the middle of the Sahara stood a tree all by itself, all alone. And this tree became known as the Tree of Tenerife. And it was apparently a remnant from an ancient time. You see, the Sahara Desert, centuries ago, was not parched and arid like it is today, but it was actually grassland. And scientists tell us that it will be grassland again in about 15,000 years. Um, And it has to do with the very slow change of the Earth's accent. An accent. Axis, an accent's a different thing, but a slow change in the earth's axis that happens once every 22,000 years, it goes through a cycle, and it has effects on the weather here, and so the Sahara Desert will, they say, become a grassland again in about 15,000 years. Well, the tree of Tenere became an icon, and it became even sacred to many caravanners who would use it as a landmark, and people wondered How this tree could live all by itself when there wasn't another tree for, in any direction, 250 miles. 250 miles is the next tree. And in 1939, the answer was discovered. The roots of the tree, they discovered, reached all the way down to the water table, which was 110 feet beneath the surface of the earth. And if the roots of this tree didn't go down that deep, it wouldn't survive. And there's a lesson for us there today. You know, in our world today, it it may seem like we have one crisis following after another crisis, and it seems like the whole world is a spiritual desert. Spiritually speaking, there is a lack of emotional, spiritual resources That people can experience. It it seems like life itself is very arid. Life is very dull. Life is very unchanging. And if there's any change at all, all the change seems to be for the worse. You know, people are becoming increasingly thirsty. Thirsty for solutions. Thirsty for peace. Thirsty for justice. Thirsty for relief. People are becoming increasingly desperate to find water to satisfy Their souls, but there's little water to be found. And so the problem is that people, well, they're not looking in the right place for the right kind of water that can satisfy their soul. And if you want to survive the spiritual desert that we're in, then I think we need to learn a lesson from the tree of Tenere, and we're going to have to go deep. Because that's where the water is. You need to learn to go deep. If you have access to a Bible, I invite you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. And if you found the place, I'd ask you to stand with me, please, and so that we can read the Word of God together. 2 Peter chapter 3, Verses 17 and 18. The Bible says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to grow in the grace, the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to do that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. By the time we leave today, you may leave thinking, well, I didn't learn anything new. And that's good, if you didn't learn anything new, but sometimes we need to be reminded of some things that we may have let go, some things that we may have been pushed aside. Certainly, if you're a Christian for any amount of time, uh, um, after a while, especially if you read all of the Bible, everything becomes a reminder. And I hope to remind you of some things today, four things, in fact, that can help you grow in your faith. There are some practical things that you can do to help grow in your faith. And one of them is to be baptized, to be baptized. I know that many of you, probably most of you here, have already been baptized, but I found that there's a lot of people who follow the Lord Jesus Christ, but yet they haven't followed Him in obedience to baptism. And maybe no one has explained why baptism is important to your faith. Sometimes I think it's Baptist. We do such a hard running away from any type of works-based salvation that we don't tell people that baptism is important, which is interesting given the name of our denomination, Baptists. So we need to understand why baptism is important to your faith. Baptism is like a wedding ring, you know. Um, Wearing a wedding ring, by the way, doesn't necessarily mean that you're married, a single person can very, very easily put on a wedding ring on the, on the same finger that a married person can do. But, you know, just wearing the ring doesn't mean that that single person is now married. Well, likewise, if you have no intention of following Jesus Christ, I guess there's nothing really stopping you from being baptized. I mean, I don't know what's in your heart. You could lie to me. You could tell me that you need to be baptized, that you have Jesus in your life and all of that. And uh, you could tell me a lie just to get me to baptize you. In fact, I've had that happen before. Uh, I once had a very destitute-looking couple uh, come to the very first church that I pastored. And this is a church running about, on a good Sunday, 45 people in a, in a little country town. And, and uh, so just having a, a visitor there in the church was big news and much less a couple that made a decision at the end of the service, and they said they wanted to follow Jesus. And so I uh, led them to Christ, I I thought, and and the following week I baptized them, and it didn't take long before they were asking for money. And we helped them out a little bit. Um, And after we helped them out a little bit, we never heard from them again. And I'm pretty sure, looking back now, that they lied to me because I found out later they did the same thing to other churches in town. Um, I think they knew how to pretend to be a new Christian in order to gain sympathy from a church and then ask for money. Uh, But fortunately, when I baptized them, the water heater wasn't working and it was February, so they earned it. (laughs) You know, very rarely would someone get baptized with a financial motive, but I think that was one. Maybe. Some people get baptized just to get their family off their back. Get mama to shut up. I'm tired of this. This will shut her up, so I'll I'll pretend. And uh, maybe, if you're like me, you got baptized at a young age, but then later came to a better understanding of what it means to follow Christ. And so if you're like me, you got baptized. Again, the second time, more meaningful to you. You know, there's a number of reasons why people shouldn't get baptized, but they do. But I want to give you some legitimate reasons why you should be baptized very quickly. First of all, Jesus told us to. Jesus told His followers to be baptized. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And so it's a part of following Jesus Christ. And so if you want to follow Jesus Christ, you need to be baptized. Secondly... Baptism sends a message to other people that you are now a follower of Jesus, and that's important, okay? A third reason to be baptized is that it makes your faith stronger. You ought to be baptized for your own faith, to help you grow in your faith. You see, baptism is like clenching a nail. You know what clenching a nail is, and when you clench a nail, you, you hammer that nail through, and so you've got the pointy end maybe sticking out the back of the wood, and so you take that pointy end and you drive it back, you bend it back, or you, you hammer it down and you drive it back into the wood. It almost looks like a little staple on the other side. And that secures that nail. That nail's not coming out very easily. And baptism is like that. And the reason it's like that is because there's something very unusual, there's something very unnatural about having other people watch you as you wade into a body of water and have someone else immerse you completely under the water and then bring you right back up. Baptism tends to leave an impression on your memory. It's unusual. It sticks with you. Baptism makes your invisible faith very visible. It makes your faith real. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you haven't been baptized, one of the best ways that you can grow in your faith is to do that be baptized a second thing that all of us can do to help grow in our faith is to learn to pray prayer is simply talking to god it's talking to god it's very simple it's just talking to god like you talk to a friend like you talk to someone else of course god is more than a friend he's more than just someone else but i don't want the the magnificence of god the awesomeness of god To somehow scare you from talking to Him. Because God says that we can come right into His presence. Now, why should we pray? Because when we pray, at least two things happen. More than these two things happen, but at least these two things happen. Number one, when you pray, God hears you. Can you imagine how incredibly awesome that is? That the the God of the entire, entire universe... The God that created every star, the God that created every molecule, the God who is eternally ancient and will exist for eternity in the future, that very God hears little old you, little old me, and he cares. Nothing escapes his notice. God hears us when we pray. A second thing that happens is that we, our will, I should say, becomes conformed. To God's will when we pray. What do I mean by that? Well, the more you learn to pray, the more you begin to express your desire for God to accomplish His will in your life. And sure, any of us could pray selfish prayers. God, help me win the lottery. You know, God, you know, do this for me, do this for me. And we could treat God like a big Santa Claus in the sky, and, that, and that's totally inappropriate. To do things like that. But if we learn to pray as a matter of daily practice, we begin to have our hearts conformed to Him. And we begin to ask, we begin to realize actually, that the very best place for us to be is right in the middle of God's will. So God, here's what I would like, but not my will, but yours be done. And so we ask God to accomplish His will, Because we trust that God knows best. And we know that God can do anything that He desires. Here's a question If you're not, if you're a Christian and you're young in your faith and you just really are not in the habit of praying, how can I learn how to pray? I mean, how can I pray the right thing? That's a great question. Here's one of the best ways that you can learn to pray it's when you learn to pray scripture. You take your Bible, and you learn to pray it to the Lord. And so, in other words, you take your reading of scripture, and you turn it into a prayer to God. I'll give you an example. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, we read this, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted And now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. And so here's a little passage of Scripture, two verses long. And when you decide you want to pray Scripture, I want you to remember the three R's. There's three things that you can uh, easily remember, the three R's. Rejoice, repent, request. And so as you read a passage of Scripture... Keep those three R's in mind. Is there anything in this passage of Scripture that I should rejoice over? Is there anything in this passage of Scripture that should cause me to repent? I sort of realize I'm doing something wrong and I need to make it right. Is there anything in this passage of Scripture that I can request of God? And so if we were to pray this prayer If I was to pray this prayer, instead of just reading it and saying, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, I might turn it into a prayer that would sound something like this. Dear Lord, I have received Christ Jesus the Lord, and I'm thankful for that. Thank you, God, for allowing me to be a follower of Jesus. The next phrase reads, so walk in him. Dear God, help me to walk in Christ Jesus. Help me to understand what that means. Because I I may not know what that means. So God, teach me what that means to walk in Jesus. The next phrase says, Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, God, your word says that I have been firmly rooted. Maybe that means, Lord, that Nothing in my life is ever going to snatch me away from you. If that's what that means, thank you, God. I'm firmly rooted. I'm being built up, God. I'm being built up in you. I'm being being established in my faith. Thank you, God. The next phrase reads, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Father, you've instructed me from your word, and, and Father, my heart is filled with gratitude. Thank you, God, for loving me. A prayer might be something like that, where you pray Scripture back to God. And the greatest part about praying Scripture back to God is that Scripture itself is the Word of God. You know you're praying according to God's will. And so that is one way that you can begin to learn to pray, and over time, your will, your thoughts, become conformed to the thoughts and the will of our Heavenly Father who gave us His Word. A third action that you can take to help grow in your faith is to give. Now, by encouraging you to give, it's not an underhanded way of tricking you into giving me money. Okay, I'm not saying that. It's important for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to have a generous spirit. It's about your own spirit. And if You hang on to every last possession and every last dime. I'm not sure if that really represents a generous spirit that God wants you to have. Becoming a generous person builds up your faith. Listen to what Jesus said about what happens to you when you give. He said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And so when you become a spiritually generous person, it's not just about giving your money. You also give your time. You give your effort. You give whatever it is that you might possess in any way to the things of God. The New Testament does talk about giving to those who are in need. And that's why one of our ministry partners, Lubbock Impact, is so important to us. Because this ministry works hand in hand uh, with us in order to help the working poor in our community. And so when, when we give money to Lubbock Impact as a part of our budget, The money that we give, it doesn't just fall into a bottomless pit. It's not just a black hole. But the staff and the volunteers at Lubbock Impact work with those people in our community who need assistance in becoming self-supporting. And when that happens, when they can move someone who is a, a drain on the system to becoming self supporting and even becoming a generous person themselves, that benefits our entire community. And not only that, but all along the way, they share the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they're able to do a ministry in a way that is much beyond what we can do. And so we support them. The New Testament also talks about supporting your church with your time and your effort and your finances. And God has given His church, specifically His church, the mandate to make disciples of all people. He's given us the mandate to provide financial support of its pastors, to support its other members who are in need. And so these things do take resources. And so God wants us to become generous in spirit. And the fourth and final thing that you can do to grow in your faith is the most important thing, actually. It is to love to love. Jesus said, as you know, that we are to love God first. He said that we are to love our neighbor. He even said that we are to love our enemy. And that's a tough one. But we can do it. We are to do it. And the reason that we love is because God loved us first. God teaches us how to love. God shows us what love is. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We read, love is patient, love is kind, not jealous, does not brag, not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, love believes all things, love hopes all things, love endures all things. Love never fails. Why? Why is love all of these things? Because God is all of these things. And God is love. If you were to reread 1 Corinthians 13 with God instead of the word love, it would make perfect sense. God is patient. God is kind. God is not jealous. God does not brag and is not arrogant. God does not act unbecomingly. God does not seek his own. God is not provoked. God does not take into account a wrong suffered. God does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. God bears all things. God believes all things. God hopes all things. God endures all things. God never fails. You know, one of the very best indicators that you are growing in your faith, is that you become more like God. And so can you put your own name in 1 Corinthians 13? Can you honestly say, beginning in verse 4, I am patient. Some of us fail the test right there. And, you know, we sort of joke about how impatient we are. But if you want to know the hard truth, the reason we're impatient is because we don't love. Love is patient. Can you honestly look yourself in the mirror and say, I am patient. Because if you're not a patient person, then the next question is, who are you impatient toward. Who are you impatient with? And if you're showing impatience toward a certain person, you're not loving that person. That's the hard truth. Let's move on to point two. I am patient. I am kind. Some of us aren't getting very far on this, are we? You know, some people say, well, you know, he's got love in his heart, but he's just not very kind toward people. Well, then maybe he doesn't have enough love in his heart. Can you say, I am patient? I am kind. I am not jealous. I do not brag. I am not arrogant. I do not act unbecomingly. I don't seek my own. I'm not provoked. I don't take into account a wrong suffered. I don't rejoice with unrighteousness, but rejoice with the truth. I bear all things. I believe all things. I hope all things. I endure all things. I never fail. I think when you put your own name there, you probably come to the same conclusion that all of us do, that there are areas where we fall short. Our love is not perfect. And we don't love God with all of our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength. We're told to, we want to, but we fall short of that, don't we? Our love for God wavers. Our love for God is weak. We're like the man who said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. We might say to God, I love, help my love. Because it's just not enough. God is patient with us when we are not loving enough. You know, when we learn to love others, we actually become more godly. And if there's any element that's missing from our world today, it's love. Love does not riot. Love does not loot. Love does not destroy. But love builds up. Love doesn't treat a man worse than an animal. But love treats people, all people, with dignity. Love doesn't see a person's skin. But love sees a person's soul. Love doesn't say that certain lives matter. Love says that all lives are sacred. A much higher standard than simply matter. You know, what our world needs to experience now is a huge dose of love. And so I would encourage you to let your words on social media be loving words. Let your interactions with others, especially those unlike yourself, be an example of love. And I would ask you to let all of your words, whether spoken or written or any other way expressed, be seasoned with love. This is God's will for us today. This is how we can make our slight, tiny, little bit of difference in this big, old, bad, nasty world. We must be people who always exemplify love. You know, when the world is the darkest, that's when a little bitty light like you, like Jesus in you, can shine the brightest. But it can only shine if we exemplify who Jesus is. If we are in our hearts loving like Jesus is loving. We must exemplify the very love of God. Now today, if you want assistance in growing in your faith, whether you need to be baptized or you want to learn more about how to pray or you want to learn how you can give or you're having just a hard time loving someone, if you need to speak with someone, I want to give you an option today, a couple of options. One You can text the word GROW to that same number, 806-375-4240. Or secondly, you can just sort of hang around after the service. I'll be here in the sanctuary. And if you want to talk to me personally, I'd be glad to speak with you. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, he did it for us, and he allowed us, Father, the opportunity to respond to him, the opportunity to say yes to you. Thank you, Father, for loving us, for caring for us, watching over us and being patient with us. You're such a loving Heavenly Father. And Lord, I pray that you might lead us to move forward in any decision that we need to make today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.